Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. In this archive edition, we go back into California history about 150 years and visit with Pio Pico, the last Mexican governor of California. Pio Pico was born at the San Gabriel Mission in 1801 of Spanish, Italian, Indian, and African ancestry. Both as a politician and as an entrepreneur, he espoused the views of many native-born Californarios, as they were called, regarding the distant seat of government that controlled what was then California. As the last Mexican governor of California, Pio Pico presided over the secularization of the missions and turned over their vast holdings to private hands. Although he fled California during the American takeover in the late 1840s, Pio Pico returned to build the first major hotel in Los Angeles. Later, he served on the Los Angeles City Council. I met with Pio Pico in the person of Roberto Garza in February of 1998, and I asked him to tell us about his life. I was born in uh, the Mission of San Gabriel in 1801. My parents and my grandparents moved from Sinaloa and Sonora in Mexico. And um, my parents, Señor Don Jose Maria Pico and Señora Maria Eustaquia Gutierrez Gonzalez had ten children. I was the fourth. I had seven sisters and two brothers. Among your um, brothers and sisters, um, were you a leader in the family? Yes. Um, my oldest brother, who became a soldier, he sort of went on his own, and then one of my sisters got married. So by 1819, when my father died, I became partially responsible for the well-being of my family. You were only 18 years old then. That's correct. What what responsibility was that? Well, um, on the one hand, I had to provide for food and find ways for to make a living, provide living quarters for my family. When my father died, he didn't have anything at all. He left us with nothing except his military uniform. But there was a home where you were living. Um, actually, that if my memory... It's correct. I think um, we were living in, uh, we had some living quarters as the garrison since my father served in the military. So but it wasn't really a home that uh, the Pico family owned? Not at that time. Not until I started with my business. I uh, opened up a country store and I did very well. So after a while I did build an adobe for my mom and my sisters. How old were you then? I would say about 22, 23. I'd like to jump forward a little bit in your life. When you were the governor of California, um, I'd like to learn a little bit about that. Okay. I became governor twice in two different occasions. First time in 1831, second time in 1845. And the two of them were 
kind of coincidences because um, the central government of Mexico had sent the first time in 1831 Senor Victoria whom the assembly did not agree on the way he was governing the territory and we opposed to his views to his decisions we fought him we won and he sent, sent him back to Mexico and then I became governor on the second occasion it was very similar But this time it was Governor Michel Torrena. The year was 1845, 44 is when the problem started. And uh, just like in 1831, I held the position of Primer Vocal, which is the equivalent of the Speaker of the Assembly. And the most important person after the governor. So the second time I became governor, provisional governor, And then uh, I was officially recognized by the central government in Mexico. Those times were very different than now, Senor Pico. Uh, there wasn't um, an ability to travel. There were no cars. There were no paved roads. There was no telephone. There was no electricity. How did you communicate with uh, the people of the state of California? Well... We had, um, for the most part, we traveled by horse. And, uh, and uh, when the distances were short, we used wagons. But there were times when it was easier for us to travel by sea. So going from San Diego to Monterrey, it was easier to just get on a boat. And How long did that take? I am not sure. At this point, I... I Can, I don't know exactly, but it, it took, uh, I would say, at least a day, a day and a half. Traveling from San Diego to Los Angeles was a trip that I made several times because I enjoy pool fights. And there were occasions where I would, it would take me a whole day to travel from San Diego to Los Angeles. But I had to use at least, at least two horses on the way. To go from San Diego to Los Angeles. Right. Tell us about the bullfights that you enjoyed. Were you a spectator or were you a matador, a corredor? I did participate on, on the bullfights. It was fun to have the beast uh, coming close to us. And we were playing with death in some respects. Of course, I never, um, I don't recall fighting any real brave bulls. But um, we had a good time and we enjoyed ourselves. I want to talk a little bit more about what California was like, what it was like um, for an average person like yourself. You were born into a very poor family, and uh, you, um, you were able to see a lot of people. Uh, you gained a lot of wealth in your life, and then some of it uh, uh, I don't think was with you when you died. Um, I saw with great pleasure the increase of my wealth. There were certain situations that were, were favorable to me. The uh, Mexican government was uh, granting lands to those who were willing to work the land. Um, of course, we had many, many foreigners who saw the opportunities and they knew that land was practically given away by the government. Uh, in the case of foreigners, they needed to embrace two things. One, they had to be Mexican citizens. They had to learn Spanish. And, and uh, they had to um, 
embrace the Catholic faith as wealth. In order to do what? In order to obtain land grants. Of course, many others found different ways. Uh, some of the foreigners married our senoritas, and with their family, when the senoritas inherited the, the, their father's land, it's just they became part of it. It passed on to the foreign husband. Correct. The non-Mexican husband. That's correct. Um, well, what was life like? Uh, tell us about the food that you ate. Uh. Um, we uh, had the, the foods that are typical Mexicans. We had tortillas. We had uh, Indian girls doing the cooking for us. And um, there were times when we had fandangos that lasted for a few days. Gran fiestas. Grandes fiestas. And um, again, uh, one of the ways we enjoy ourselves were with uh, horse races. I was a very good um, horse rider, and I enjoyed uh, feeling the, the wind in, in cool nights when I was traveling uh, by horse. You got up when the sun rose, went to bed when the sun went down? That's correct. In many ways, that's the way we did it. We worked hard, but, but we also had a good time. Um, the uh, agriculture. Did you have uh, farms, ranches? I know that you did, sir. Well, um, we had... Um, First, when I serve as administrator for the San Luis Rey Mission, um, we had different crops, wheat, corn, and we also had animals that um, pasture over our, our lands. And uh, we had a place where we uh, slaughtered the animals and we uh, divided uh, the, the good meat first to the girls and then to the other neophytes. Women always got the first the best part of, of, of the animal. The women who um, who lived at the missions? Correct. And the Indian women? The converted Indian women? All of them. Uh, the, uh, the ones that were part of the family as well as the uh, Indians that work um, weaving, doing um, a fabric as well as uh, producing soap. Why was it that the um, women and the girls got the best part of the meat? Perhaps it has something to do with our values. We had always uh, tried to have a lot of respect for senoritas, and we, as caballeros, tried to provide them with the best. Tell us about the um, relationship that the missions had with the Indian people. I could speak only for the uh, missions in which I was um, directly in touch with. As you probably know, there are several missions all the way across California. But uh, the ones in San Diego, San Luis, San Gabriel, San Juan Capistrano, the priests at time mistreated the Indians, and I did witness the times when um, Indians will uh, refuse to obey orders from the priests, uh, they were punished. They were severely punished. What kind of orders would they refuse to obey? 
Well, the Indians, uh, the neophytes, were supposed to work the land, and sometimes they wouldn't do it. And they were supposed to um, to keep uh, themselves away from the girls, and and all of them had a certain number of responsibilities that had they had to comply with. And many times when they wouldn't do it, um, that created problems. At times they um, escaped or uh, they will take something that did not belong to them, and that was punished. Let's talk for a while about California. Uh, you saw California under um, three different governments, actually four different governments, uh, the Spanish government, the Mexican government, uh, the uh, Bear Flag revolt for a brief time, and the American government. What kinds of changes did you see? Well, I was born, just like you said, uh, when um, California was part of uh, Spain. And um, we received the orders from the vice royalty in uh, what it was called uh, New Spain. And um, those were the years when I was um, uh, a young boy and then a teen and my father worked in the garrison of both San Diego and San Gabriel. We were basically worried about the uh, insurrections of the Indians because the Indians will come in and attack the missions. Uh, right after um, a couple of years when my father died, Mexico became independent. And in many ways, there was not a big change. The only thing we noticed is, was that... Um, the power of the church was not as strong as when uh, it was part of Spain. Would that include the power that uh, they exerted at the missions? Yes. Um, but in, in many ways, um, the central government being so far from California, it took months before we uh, reached, before we reached orders that were given in, in uh, central government. What I do remember is that um, the time that it took uh, to Mexico to become independent from Spain, it was like when I was a young boy of 10 until I was about 20. And so um, I saw this transformation and I was part of that transformation in a certain way. The character of of uh, being a uh, Mexican territory was not quite well established. So in some respects, we identify ourselves as Californios rather than Mexicanos, and not to mention that we were loyal to Central Mexico. Californios are people who were born in California who were not Indian. That's correct. People that they were considered gente de razón. And by gente de razón, what do you mean? It was just a way to differentiate from the Indians. The Indians were not considered gente de razón because um, um, now in my older years, I don't see things the same way. But back in those years, I, um, I did agree with the rest of the Californians that the Indians were not able to to govern themselves, they lack the uh, 
the uh, process of thinking that it was required to uh, to carry out a certain kind of uh, urbanized or civilized community. They became gente de razón, or uh, people who could think or reason, when they were baptized into the Catholic Church. To a certain extent. But was they, there more? Yes. They, in order, it was not only a matter of being uh, baptized, but they needed to learn the language. The Spanish language. The Spanish language. And they needed to understand the uh, values of the Catholic Church. What happened to Indians who wanted to go back to their own uh, lands, their own people, and leave the missions? When the um, priests were in charge of the missions, uh, they did not allow that because, to a certain extent, by law, the Indians, the neophytes, were, uh, had the obligation to stay with the mission. So whenever they tried to run away, they were um, a garrison would go after them and bring them back to the mission, and they would be punished. They would forcefully capture them? To a certain extent, yes. How did they punish them? What did they do? They whipped them. They, um, for the most part, they, they whipped them, or they kept them in, uh, in uh, quarters without communicating with some of the other Indians. Senor Pico, as governor of California on two different occasions, what were some of your concerns for the well-being of the state, some of the things that you stood for? I will talk only about the second administration, because the first one was just um, very brief, and it was kind of divided. But on my second administration in 1845, I stood for justice. There were some problems that we were not able to control, such as um, um, people taking advantage of um, the ones that couldn't defend themselves. There was a lot of stealing, and there was a lot of irregularities that um, we will not tolerate. Stealing of what? By whom? They, well, some of the um, soldiers that came with uh, Señor Michel Torena were stealing horses and, and actual uh, things that the people had in their homes. And um, I wanted to set up a certain kind of, um, of a justice system in which those people who will violate the rules will pay the consequences. What kind of a system did you have in mind? Pretty much um, a, a, a tribunal, a, a court system that uh, will decide on what kind of punishment will be fair for the people that will violate the, the rules and regulations. Um, in addition to the uh, justice system that I was uh, discussing with some of my advisors, I was also um, pro-education, and I proposed the possibility of establishing a, a well-set uh, center of education in which our children will be educated. They will learn to read and write. Describe what you had in mind. Schools for everyone? Well, schools mainly for uh, the people who who were citizens, 
but at the same time to um, go a step further of what the uh, missions had. The missions attempted to to educate the Indians. So I had in mind the possibility that starting with a simple education will eventually turn out into areas that will cover either the uh, law, the practice of law, or perhaps uh, uh, training our um, people to become priests or learn other areas that will be uh, good for our community. Education for boys and girls? Yes. I myself was uh, educated by a woman. Uh, Senora Carrillo was the first uh, lady who helped me with my first letters. She taught me how to read. And my brother-in-law, Jose Antonio Carrillo, is the one who taught me how to write. He asked me to write the same sentences over and over until I would perfect my writing. Before we close, Senor Pico, I'd like to ask you if you could uh, tell us about some of the books or one of the books that you've read that you've enjoyed. Well, um, I cannot think of any particular book that I read, but I will recommend you to read a a narrative that has been publicized by a gentleman Bancroft, whom I dictated part of my life story. What's that narrative called? It's called Pio Pico, A Historical Narrative. And I uh, talk about my life to Senor uh, Thomas Savage in the 70s. Governor Pio Pico, thank you very much for talking with us. Thank you. And Roberto Garza, uh, welcome. Thank you for inviting me to your talk show. How uh, do you see Pio Pico as being an important person in California history? Pio Pico is a man who lived a very long life. He died at the age of 93. He was born in, in... San Gabriel Mission, and he saw all these changes that happened. He was born under the Spanish flag and then became Mexican, and then he became very wealthy when the um, Yankees had taken over California. The contributions that he made to our state as a Mexican governor two times. The first time was extremely brief, and he did not have time, basically, because the government was divided. The second time, he had grand plans, and he had a group of advisors that several things could have taken off the ground. But it was the timing wasn't appropriate, because the following year, the um, um, Freeman forces took over Sonoma, and it the, the Americans took over California. So this would be in about 1854, 1855? No, this is actually in 1846. California became a state of the, of the United States in 1850. And by this time, Pio Pico was no longer involved in politics. He was mostly a ranchero, who was acquiring land, and this is the time, the 50s was a, a very good time for Pio Pico.
As a scholar who um, has studied extensively about Pio Pico and presents him in character as if you were him, uh, what do you want people to know about him, uh, to, to see and feel? Once again, the fact that Pio Pico came from nothing. When his father died, he became, his family was practically penniless, and he rose from nothing to a very prominent position. Not to mention the fact that he became, some people have said that he was perhaps one of the wealthiest men in California. He lost most of his wealth by the time of his death, did he not? That's true. What happened? On the one hand, it was the fact that um, there were many uh, North Americanos coming down to California, and they were taking advantage. There were many squatters who would take over the land uh, without asking permission to the owners. And even when, when the owners fought over the this land to the land commission, um, they will not move. And uh, there were many people that were very dishonest and they found ways to take away from the Mexicans as much as they could. And they, most of the important Californians, lost most of their property and land to the, to the hands of the Anglos. Roberto Garza, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, but before we close, I want to ask you what I just asked Pio Pico, and that's um, about an interesting book on this topic. There are a couple of books that I will recommend on, um, in order to understand what was life like in the times when Pico was alive. Martin Cole, who was the curator for the Pico Mansion, in the uh, 70s, 1970s and 80s, he wrote a couple of uh, uh, books. Um, one of them is Pio Pico Narrative and uh, Pio Pico Miscellany. And this one, he gives um, many uh, uh, different vignettes of the life of Pio Pico. I will recommend that one. I will also recommend um, The Decline of the um, California Dons by uh, Leonard Pitt. Roberto Garza, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Pio Pico, the last Mexican governor of California, is brought to us in this archive edition of Radio Curious, recorded in February of 1998, in the person of Roberto Garza. The book that Pio Pico recommended is the Bancroft Narrative, Pio Pico, A Historical Narrative. The books that Roberto Garza recommends are Pio Pico Miscellany by Martin Cole, who is a curator of the Pio Pico Museum, and The Decline of Californios, The Social History of the Spanish-Speaking Californias, 1846-1890, to by Leonard Pitt. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 
707-621-5482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.